It's it's just a circle joke. I'd have a Chinese man stand on my legs and tell me that I cried too. You know, as opposed to a chair, I personally prefer a one-night stand. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Nothing's better than the cold hardwood. I mean, first, I, I pity the fool who's trying to put a foot plug in a pail. If I woke up on crack and someone had shoved something into my bum, I don't care if I was able to poop it out. I would be a try not to suck, and next time suck less. Think, oh, I can just go up and down. It's like, nope, that's gonna die. Five, four, three, two, one. Right. There's some lag, but it'll be okay. Was that good for everybody? That was yeah. good for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like a really insecure boyfriend after, you know, the first night together. Like, was that good for you? How'd I do? Did I get at least a C? What? Rule what number an, one, never ask for a performance unless you know you fucked up. What an apt uh, description of learning how to do a podcast. Because I feel like every time, it's, man, did we did we hit the right notes? Was that the right pace? Um, do you have any notes? Oh, that's how I could make it better for you. Okay. Is this a cry for help or sex? Because I, I feel layers to this conversation, but I'm also confused. I'm a little out of my element here, so I feel like Jeremiah should take this one. Like, what would be the podcast equivalent of a dildo? Oh, uh, that would be recording your own audiobooks. All right. So, and so by I that I mean, fucked myself. That by that I mean audiobooks that you have no intention of other people ever listening to but you read them to yourself to listen back to later. That's the, that's the equivalent. That's actually like a really, really great metaphor that tracks perfectly. It's, it's just a circle jerk. Okay. okay. No, cause that implies the involvement of more than one person. Okay. That is true. It's a that solo, but extremely flexible circle jerk. You are an acrobat. Yeah. That Bam! always comes I, back sorry. to that. I, yeah. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said, wow, I wish that I was flexible like that. You were born with great genetics. Like, screw you. I had to work really hard for these splits. I had to have a Chinese man stand on my legs and tell me that I cried too much to get my splits down. Well, now I have to ask for elaboration on that story. So tell us us how you got into... This 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 line of performing performing work because this is this I want to know more about this Chinese man. Okay, well I'll tell you about. I won't start at the very beginning. Let me start when I did the bulk of the training. Uh, it was 2015, <laughs> and I was at a crossroads in my life, and it was like go back to school, commit to the career that I was working in at the time. Or go on a wild bent and try to follow and pursue my dream of performing. And I picked up, moved out to San Francisco, and for four months trained intensively at San Francisco Circuit Center, which primarily had uh, teachers who worked in China. I think mostly the Nanjing Circus. So yeah, this man's name was Xiao Hong, Xiong Wang. And um, he is great. I do have that distinct memory and I love telling the story. It makes him sound more like a drill sergeant than he was where I would put my legs against the wall with my feet in the air and 
you try to bring them down so that your feet are on the floor. And he would say, hey, you're not getting flexible fast enough. So he would climb up on the wall, put his feet on my, about on my ankles, and then start putting weight on. And there's a certain point your body goes so far and your brain is convinced you can't go further. So everything tightens up and he'd say, like, I'd start whimpering. He'd be like, stop crying, big baby. It's only, I'm 135 pounds. This is only 20% of my body weight. You're being a big wimp. Wow, this is the weirdest porno I've heard so far. Yeah. No. So uh, did you break your legs? No, no. He w- uh, Xiao Hong was really good. Um, and he's no longer at Circus Center, but he trained a lot of people. And he had this larger-than-life personality. Really funny. Uh, tons of fun to be in his classes. So, no, I didn't break my legs. I didn't sustain any major injuries when I was training uh, at Circus Center. Did you sustain any emotional injuries? Emotional damage. Um, (laughs) No, not really. Everybody there was great. They were really, really great. Um, Really great developmental and life experience. So my main question when it comes to that is what was the application process like to get into that sort of thing? Because I can't imagine how if I wanted to right now, I would become an acrobat. I can't imagine what that process would look like. You know, I don't know if they do intensives anymore. At the time, I had to send them a video that showed I could do certain things. Like I had to send a video of me showing off um, my upper body strength, uh, various skills. And then they they got back to me and said, okay, you're good to go. What dates are you going to come down? I think they've changed their program. Um, They were less intense than some of the bigger schools, like the uh, ENC, the uh, National Circus School up in Canada. They are really strict. I've known a ton of people who go up there on audition and haven't gotten spots. Um, And Mm -hmm. one guy who did, and he's got a fabulous circus career right now. So you snuck in at just the right time. Well, for for the level I was also training for, like, I'll be really clear. I was not like going to Cirque du Soleil. I haven't, I've been there as an audience member, but not on a performer side. But like anything, you have levels. It's like going to an amateur baseball game rather than a pro baseball game. You're not in the ML, uh, MLB. You're, you know, going around uh, 92 games a year and not getting paid for it. I did get paid, just Interesting. not... Just not superstar levels or not Cirque du Soleil money. That Cirque du Soleil money. <laughs> How much does... I'm so bad at saying words. Cir- the, the circus people, how much do they make when they're really good? You know, I don't know. I, I know a lot of my friends, they made a pretty good professional living. And... The best okay. part about Cirque du Soleil is that you can learn other skills while you're there and their uh, mm. health benefits and what they do for their athletes Bam. and keeping them sustainable is the biggest thing they do. Because there's a lot of people who they'll train for so many years, they'll do an act for like five years, but they didn't know how to take care of their body the right way. So then they're shot. So then they're out into the world with no other kind of job or professional skills they've been a performer Dang. so that sucks it yeah so it, 
I remember 10 years ago when I was really looking at Cirque, that was a big draw was that they really wanted to make sure that they could develop you and give you options for even as you retired. So the moment you came on, they were already like, okay, this is great that what you're doing now, but let's talk about what are you going to do in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? How are we going to develop you so that you can still be successful afterwards? That is more long-term thinking than most people do like by themselves. So that's really dope. Yeah. Well, and when you're talking about an industry that mostly you're going to excel at in your 20s and 30s, and then by the time you're in your 40s, you're probably going to be stepping back to an educational role or a role where you're being creative in different ways. It's Mm -hmm. really good long-term thinking. Hmm. Because I always wondered watching acrobats in the Olympics, because they're all, you know, super young And I just always wonder, what do they do once, you know, their bodies are no longer able to be at that peak level performance? What do they move on to after they've hit that sort of high? That's a great question. Point of clarity. Those are gymnasts. So there is there is acrobatic gymnastics. I won't get into all that, but I for most of them, they're so young, most athletes in the Olympics, at least for females, are they're peaking before they're 18 or males. or in that area. Males, um, they do pretty well into their early 20s. And then you see a lot of guys kind of drop out and go to the next stage of life. Um, and then you occasionally get a super athlete like Simone Biles, who she super. is she is still going. She is taking care of herself. She's still performing at uh, level so high that without getting into too many politics, the gymnastics institution said, hey, you're so good that we don't want other people attempting the skills you're doing because they'll probably get hurt. So we're just going to make your skills worth less, not worthless, but she can't score like she should be, which is just ridiculous. So anyone who's listening to this, Simone Biles is the greatest gymnast probably in the next two generations. I would love to be pretty wrong on that, uh, but I don't see it happening. So yeah, there's, folks. there's some insight into the circus world, or at least my story. All right. Well, welcome to Last Three Brain Cells. Uh, my name's Lucas, uh, your little pig boy, here to give you an oinkgasm. And I'm here with Jeremiah. What? Yep. Yep. We're sitting here. I'm clearly the acrobat who was talking. Uh Pig boy, did you really think that was gonna land? I don't know if that landed. Sammy, what do you think? Honestly, I'm still I'm still reeling from Pig Boy. I'm still trying to process this the Pig Boy. I'm still trying to process this. But so he I'm, I'm gives you an oinkgasm. The oinkgasm was the joke. I know it's not good, but once I thought of it, I just had to say it. I'm descending further down into insanity trying to wrap my head around this, but please continue. Well, so that's who we are over here. And who else are we with here? Ah! I think that that, uh, that's your cue. Oh, I thought he he, he already called me out and he said that we're here with Sammy. I thought that was my cue. Oh, well, we got we got cues on cues. We got cues lined up. We got letter cues. We got we got cues spelled with C's. We got pool cues. Pool cues are really embodying our podcast name right now. And I wouldn't say I'm proud, but it's a thing. It was a great well, name. Better than disappointed. Okay, Sammy, we've been talking since last week, and you have thought up a little segment here that uh, 
you're going to inform Lucas and I about parts of the world that we're not very informed about. So yeah. I think it's time we Welcome. bust it out. It's about uh, it's about time for my my new segment the uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, comment words the uh, condiment comment. I'm gonna hate myself if I can't pronounce this every single time. The condiment comedy corner, where it's my job to help you catch up. <laughs> Mustard on that gas. Okay, so on today's comedy com- comedy <laughs> condiment corner. We have a tweet from New York Senator Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, whose plea for uh, furniture advice went just quickly and terribly off the rails. Uh, this article in particular is by the Huff, the Huff Post, not to be compared to or confused with the older brother slash adult in the family, the Huffington Post, uh, also British, by, uh, by stereotype only. Uh, the tweet reads, is Instagram still down? BC, after two months almost furnitureless in DC, I have, I am trying to take you all on a riveting adventure of getting, semicolon, a chair. Also, if you have to start a new apartment from scratch, what would be the first five pieces of furniture slash items you would get? Asking for me. Now, shout out to, uh, New York Senator Alexandria Orcasio Cortez for this riveting piece of, uh, content. From our, you know, senators up in Capitol Hill. See, there are a lot of amazing and great quips and jokes posted in reply. You know, one guy was, his direct answer was table saw. And, uh, another person replied, ask Ben Carson. He can probably find you something really nice. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, someone honestly was probably speaking the truth and saying, you know, Hannity's whole show tonight is going to be about your chair. And I would love personally to see how Sean Hannity stretches this quote of AOC trying to find a chair into a dramatic retelling of the Democrats failing the American people. But honestly, we'll see if what what happens next. So um, this is so this is way bigger than just a chair and a tweet. Like have people have blown up about this tweet from AOC? Yes, but mostly in a comedic sense. Because honestly, I think that it shouldn't be about anything more than just somebody trying to find a chair in DC, which having, you know, knowing people who live in New York, I can understand how difficult it is to find good furniture. Cause not only do you need to find the furniture, it has to be furniture that you can transport to your a spot. And you know, it can, it can be a little difficult depending on where you are. And that's what kind of makes some of these uh, responses so funny. Because on one hand, you have the guy who's like, you know, as opposed to a chair, I personally prefer a one-night stand. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Wow. But on the other side, you have the person coming at this with a more satirical version of comedy, uh, saying, this is what's wrong with Democrats. They want to take away a small percentage of money from billionaires so that they can live it up by having a chair. Can't they just stand? You know, shout out to all these people in the comments. It It has been very much hilarious, hilarious thread. Um, but yeah, in your local news, uh, New York Senator AOC asking about finding a chair. So from your uh, spiel here, I'm getting the feeling that you're saying that AOC's detractors in this regard don't have that many legs to stand on. You know, it, it really seems to be the case because how many arguments are you going to have when it's just one person trying to stand up for something they believe in? The ability to have furniture in the home. You know, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. How can you say that's not in uh, 
an unalienable right, the ability to seat one's seat in a seat among seats, politics. Now, I think it'd be interesting. You said the question was, what five pieces of furniture would you choose moving into a new apartment? You don't have any other furniture besides what you choose. What would the five items be that you would choose? You know, my first thought was getting a bed, a sofa, a coffee table, a dining table, and like, I don't know, maybe a, uh, which was a desk, you know, but there was one comment in here that completely upends my entire line of thinking because they, they, one person would basically said a Calax shelf for board game collection. Everything else can wait. And I think that's a, that's a very strong statement. That that's something that deserves another look. I mean, you're speaking our language on this side over here as has been established for the oh, yeah. board gaming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very mm-hmm. important. Very important. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as I think about what would I have? And I would love to get one of those rollout sleeping beds that they use in Japan. Ooh. For me, it's about saving space. I feel like that's cheating a little bit. Are you talking about the things that function for like four or five different purposes? No, I'm talking about just the roll. Like you roll it out, you sleep on it, and then in the morning you roll it up and you have the rest of your room space. Oh, so so a glorified sleeping bag. Pretty much. And in my youth, I've spent a lot of time sleeping on other people's floors. I feel like <laughs> most people have slept on other people's couches. They seek the comfort. For me... I say, well, that hardwood floor will work. You sure you don't want the couch? Nope, it'll kind of mess with my neck. But if I sleep on the floor, I know what I'm getting into. So you're, you're, you've are you're gone used to sleeping on hardwood floor? Yes, hardwood is preferable to concrete. Let me just put that out there right now, Ooh. especially in the summertime. Nothing's better than the cold hardwood floor. Well, so did you have any blankets or anything in between, you know, the floor and you? Or was it just you on the floor with like a blanket over you? You are really concerned about my sleeping condition no, in my the, youth. The reason I'm asking is because uh, for a while when I got to this, the apartment that I'm currently staying in, it, it all has like a really cheap, not real wood floor. Uh, but I didn't have any beds. So for a while I was sleeping in the sleeping bag on a wooden floor definitely been through there you know it sounds like you guys have really you know it sounds like it's a it's a hard floor life for us you know it's a hard hard hard, hard floor. Yeah. absolutely son of a bitch hey okay i have an answer to all of aoc's problems as well okay by the way and it took me no less than 30 seconds on google Woo! she needs something transportable something okay. affordable and something okay. nice and classy So the first question I asked myself was, why doesn't Washington, D.C. have an Ikea? Well, they do. They have an Ikea. So uh, and it's right off the highway. Man, Ikea is really good about placing themselves like that. Yeah, but you're expecting AOC to know how to put Ikea furniture together. You're also expecting her to have the time to go to Ikea. I need my senators and representatives in their offices Making changes and writing you bills. Know, that's fair. Doesn't She has an aide somewhere. She could be like, hey, I've looked online. It took me five minutes. I need this kind of chair and this kind of table. And uh, I need you to assemble it. It'll probably take them like 20 minutes. I wonder how I stressful. I wish they were that productive. 
I wonder how stressful that day would be for that aide when she's told, oh, uh, my boss just got a new apartment and I have to deck out her whole, her whole place. I just have a day to do it. And if you don't do it, some very important legislation won't pass because she won't get a good night's rest. So you'll be screwing over millions of Americans in the process. Have fun. That stuff's decided well ahead of time. I want to see the Sean Hannity show on that aid. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's just a show that's just the aid. And it's... Today, AOC said she was quite tired. Why would that be? Well, maybe if you went and paid your aides a little bit more, you could get a quality night's sleep. I don't know if that's Especially, how Sean Hannity sounds. I, you'd probably say something about paying them a good enough wage that you can get one who's skilled enough that can put together ikea furniture for some reason even though we've been talking about aids the job for the past several minutes jeremiah when you said aids i immediately thought of the disease (laughs) and my brain was trying to wrap my head around that sun turn in the conversation well speaking of that uh in San Francisco, not very far away from Circus Center, is the National AIDS uh, Memorial, which is actually very beautiful. I would highly recommend anyone to go there and see the serene um, memorial to the first people who passed away to that disease. I mean, AIDS treatment has come an incredible way since Rent was written. Indeed, indeed. So does that mean- I still need to watch that. So does that mean Rent is no longer like a viable piece of media? I wouldn't say it's not a viable piece of media because I think you could draw similar conclusions and relations with other current, you know, because I think there's definitely people today who would be able to relate strongly with the characters in Rent. And there's other, you know, debilitating lethal diseases that are going around besides AIDS, which is now you can very well you can live a good life even if you have AIDS. Well, back when that was written, it was a death sentence. Hmm. Wow. The wonders of technology. I believe another piece and well, not in your comedy combinant, combinant, mother. <laughs> so in your other uh, condiment news, um, there was a, a, a lady recently who was undergoing a very experimental treatment that has completely cured her and rid her of, I do believe it was um, HIV dash something, something. I'm not a doctor making her the fourth person, I want to say fourth person in history, um, to be completely rid of AIDS. So, you know, we're, the breakthrough is on the horizon, and uh, soon this will... We're, we're getting there. So the the virus isn't even dormant? It's completely Not eliminated. dormant or undetectable, completely eliminated. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah. All right, you heard it here. It's okay <clears throat> if you get HIV, because we got a cure now. Okay, that that's not what we're saying. We I believe in safe sex practices and con- and consensual BDSM. You know, they got to got get you got to get your box checked and your your lines dotted and crossed and signed. Cool. All right. I'm just <laughs> I'm still turning over the it's okay. I'm like, "Oh yeah. Hey, and it's totally fine to get shanked with a piece of glass cuz don't worry. We'll stitch you up. You'll live. You'll learn so much after you've gone shanked. You'll realize that it was a bad idea to come to prison in the first place. Which, what you missed in that conversation, Sammy, was my brain jumping to the ridiculous line of logic there. Like, oh yeah, it's still fine. Don't worry. You won't suffer at all. No, I was 100% playing the devil's advocate there. Uh, 
have safe sex kids or don't have sex at all the devil plays the advocate i thought that he played the fiddle he's very talented he can do multiple things also he's not that good at fiddle if some mortal can beat him that that's not a bet i'm willing to make so uh moving on to the next no actually since we brought up the devil went down to georgia I just really love how the devil went down implies that Georgia is below hell. Damn. Wow. All right. What you got next for us, Sammy? Uh, barbecue sauce. Oh, I thought you had another segment ready. See, see that just, nope. do you guys remember that old YouTube video of Star Wars where it's like the redubbed when... Obi-Wan's coming out of the ship and confronting Anakin after Anakin, you know, choked out his wife and not in the consensual way. Oh, oh my. And there's the line where Anakin's just ranting about different stuff at Obi-Wan. And one of the things he gets angry about is apparently Obi-Wan, since he's wearing a brown cloak. He's like, did you get barbecue sauce on my cloak? I know it was you. And Obi-Wan's lines are the exact same. And so he's just like, you have done that yourself. Is this a bad lip reading no, video? It's, it's just someone who looks like Anakin, dresses up as him, and like redoes those parts of the scene. Oh, And so it's intercut with the actual footage of Obi-Wan's responses. But instead, Anakin's just doing different stuff. Like, instead of purposefully choking out uh, Padme, he's he just gets distracted talking about baby stuff. And he forgets that he's, you know, choking her. And then he's like, oh, I'm sorry, babe. Hmm. It's a really, it's, it's, it's a fairly ancient video. I, I just didn't know if anyone else knew about it. Is it as old as Star Wars Kid? I think it was after Star Wars Kid, probably by a few years. I know none of these things. Was it before Vine? I have no idea. I never used Vine. That is a... So I have no idea when it came into existence and exactly how it came about being slaughtered. That's unfortunate. Vine was the greatest comedy website of all time. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Sir, that was an app. App, website, all of the above. It started as a website. And then I think they went app. I mean, that's how everything went in 2015. Well, in other news, a man pled guilty for taking two baby bears from their den after he realized he could not take care of them and he needed authorities' help to return them to their den. He just couldn't bear the responsibility. He could not. I have so many questions. Did he think it was just going to be Winnie the Pooh all the time? I have no idea, but... You know, at the age of 29, you'd think that a dude would have enough wherewithal to say, hey, maybe taking a bear, not just one bear, but two bears from the den and just trying to raise them as like my pet best friends won't work because real life isn't a Disney movie. But you know what? Not everybody thinks that real life is not a Disney movie. I can respect that that man went and followed his dream. He said, I'm not going to think about the the logistics. I'm not going to think about how this plan is going to play out. I want two baby bear best friends who will grow up big and strong and I'll ride them and we'll be pals all the time. See, this is my issue, though. It's like I would love to ride a bear into battle, but we're not in the uh, we're not in the period of time where we have battles to ride bears into. 
if that makes sense. Uh, like, riding a yeah. bear into a battle makes sense if you have, like, a sword. But if they're just going to shoot you from across the t- trenches, like, nah, keep keep Winnie the Pooh safe. Give him some more years of honey, you know? I mean, do you realize how terrifying, uh, you know, a drugged-out bear would be? Just pumped yes. full of crack and, you know, other stimulants, and then, like, a butt plug just so he's mad, and then just dropping him in the middle of enemy forces. He would be the most oh terrifying <laughs> experience ever. I mean, first, p- I, I pity the fool who's trying to put a butt plug in a bear. He would Two. be sedated at that point. Then you wake him up, drop him out of the plane with a parachute. He would land. He would be so upset, and he would blame it on all the people around him. Wouldn't we he might just as well get Peter your member at this point. Maybe. Okay, he might poop it out, but at that point, it's been an inconvenience. If I were definitely up on giving crack PETA your number and someone had shoved something into my bum, I don't care if I was able to poop it out. I would be upset. Hold on. If we're getting but wouldn't you attack the people who put it up your butt as opposed it, to the people that it's this- a bear? What if they're not around? Yeah, it's they're not around. The only people around are the enemy forces. Now, if we're getting PETA involved. They would actually want you to stick a piece of dynamite up the bear's butt because it's been fouled by human hands. So they just want to get rid of it. Yeah. Oh, they they would they would kill it. That was they, the best look. Sammy's look wanna, was just like what? I also want to go back to the point where you're trying to say that you're instead of riding a, a a regular bear, now we're riding a coked up, drugged up bear, which seems like an even worse idea. Oh no, mind you. you. You, you couldn't do that. The bear would kill you first and then kill everyone else around you. You don't need to be there. You can watch from the helicopter listening to, you know, American music as you watch, you know, your, your, your bear, your baby you've raised from a babe, you know, fulfill his country's purpose. I, ever so s- you raise this bear to drug him up and send him into enemy lines? This is somewhere between child abuse if you've raised it since it was a cub. To, like, it's not a child. animal abuse. It's, it's animal abuse. And it's an atrocity of war. Well, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. You can have uh, child abuse case. and animal abuse when you raise your baby cub. Okay, that, that only works if you're raising uh, a goat. Because they're called kids. Besides kids. Ever since how to get two felonies in one. Uh, ever since you said that you were going to coke up the bear, I just... I'm thinking about this headline that I would have to read. I would read a book about this. Local bear gets into PCP supply. Mm-hmm. No. City no longer exists. <laughs> mm-hmm. now, that idea was spurred because there was an actual incident where a bear got in and ate several kilos of cocaine. Kilos. Kilos. Yeah, kilos so just of like a ton of cocaine. And the the post was just saying for for a while there, that bear was the most dangerous predator to ever walk the earth. I believe it. That bear could take on dinosaurs, no problem. That bear that is a bear you drop behind enemy lines and it I, it would take out a piece of armor. It would destroy a tank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would make that tank its little bitch. It would I, I'm so on board with this idea now. I was so-so when I first brought it up, but now that I'm thinking about it, uh, I guess the only problem is cocaine's kind of expensive. But <laughs> I want to bring up the fact that I was never but proposing you could crack, this. You could cut a deal with, you know, Mexican drug cartels 
And it could be a beneficial situation where you slack off a little bit on them, because, I mean, we're losing that war anyway. And they give you enough cocaine to weaponize an already, you know, biological weapon that is a bear. Sammy brings up a little story about a man who wants two baby bears to be his friend and admits the folly of his ways. And you're talking about biological warfare with coked up bears. And now I do want to play, I do want to play the miniatures game you, uh, you design because when Coke is a necessary resource and you have to talk about when you're going to Coke up your bears, that sounds like a fun game. You know, for that game, I, I'm kind of in need of one or two more classes. I already have space zombies and, you know, I'm, sentient candy. What are you talking about? Oh, it is another board game designing. Oh, I remember that on one. On the back burner for years. Okay. I okay. could have coked up bear. Coked up bears could be in a... Di- oh, okay. J- just wait. This kind of sounds like uh, a game designed by the oatmeal. They have exploding kittens. They have... Uh, the oatmeal's that guy who he makes he makes comics. He's made a lot of games now. Exploding Kittens, something burrito. But uh, that sounds like a game he'd make is coked up grizzlies. It would be the most deadly battle royale of a board game. All the players are on the board and there's just a coked up bear that uh, the AI equivalent for board games is controlling. Or you could just put one person who's the bear master. He He's allowed to bear arms. Second No. And he just goes around. It's just a survival game. And you have to, you know, push your other players into the bear. Oh my goodness. That reminds me of the weirdest, one of the weirdest, but most fun games I played with uh, my brothers as a kid. Uh, We called it the worm. So (laughs) hold on a second. Based on your through your line of logic so far, your through line. I can only imagine that you used to have two more brothers and you lost them to coked up bears. No, there was another game that involved bears, but that's that's a separate issue. Um, and and teddy bears, not actual bears. Our our parents wouldn't uh, allow us. To I thought you were that. talking about the kind of bears you'd find on Folsom Street. The, what is is that like? Are you talking about the Bernstein bears or? I I don't get the it, reference. It's uh, people who understand a little bit about uh, I don't know, gay culture will know what I'm talking about. Wow. Oh, oh crap! Uh, no, <laughs> we wow. we were raised in a a good half Christian household. <laughs> wow. My dad's Christian. My mom's atheist, which is interesting. But I. Uh, Anyway, back to the worm. So what we would do is we would take a sleeping bag and one of us would crawl into the sleeping bag backwards and they would be crawling around as the worm. And the rest of us, we would be limited to walking around on our knees to limit our movement. And the goal would be to survive without getting caught by the worm. If you get caught by the worm, the world just envelops you. And then you become the new worm. And there was so much sacrifice involved in that game where we would hold each other and make noises as the worm lumbers around closer. (laughs) And eventually, at the end, just split desperately as the worm flounders around uh, and envelops one of us. 
Lucas, you now make more sense as a person. I just want to put that. We out were there. very creative kids. That too. Also, it was a really fun game. Don't judge me. That's that's too amazing. late. Well, based on our time and where we're at, and we're talking about games anyway, I think it's time that we bust into the board game pool. Did we name this segment? I I don't think we did. To be future named, so those of you listening to this and hear that weird voice that voices over, that's not in post. That's just, that's how my girlfriend sounds. The notes in here say crazy things we play. So maybe we'll have to go for that right now. Yeah, that'll, that'll be our, our uh, <clears throat> working title until we think of an actual title. So a little background on this. Lucas and I met through playing board games and we play a lot of games, deep cut games, complicated games, all sorts of stuff. Sammy does not play board games. Well, I just started playing one and it's pretty I'm ashamed. I'm not going to bring it up. Okay. Sorry. We'll have to nothing. talk about it after is, is the show. It, is it Candyland? Candyland's nope. not a game. Uh, I'll ge- I will never be ashamed of playing I'll give Candyland. you a hot take on Candyland another you day. You should be ashamed, but moving on. Okay. So <laughs> Lucas and I both recently played this game, and we're going to go over the lore and then kind of describe it to Sammy and just see how things go. Yeah. Okay. And okay. if it goes yeah. badly, we'll just in post go back in time and fix it, which will make sense in a little bit. Okay. So uh, <laughs> the game is called Anachrony by Mind Clash Games. So here's a little summary of their lore. All right. This is Jeremiah from the future. Unfortunately, my Canadian girlfriend had to move back to Canada. The past Jeremiah seemed to struggle a little bit. So I'm going to give him a little hand here. An explosion of mysterious origin rocks the Earth, releasing massive amounts of energy and causing devastating natural disasters that wipe the majority of humanity from the face of the planet. For years after this day of purgation, mankind hides in these shelters in fear of the world above. Eventually, however, the largest and bravest of these holds crawl their way back to the surface. These groups band together and establish a foothold for humanity the world capital. Over the next 300 years, four organizations separate themselves from the world capital to form their own independent cities. Each of these cities preaches a separate ideology and each claims to be the path to humanity's salvation. Despite this ideological dissonance, the world capital maintains a tenuous peace. Meanwhile, Travelers between the cities and explorers of this new world must wear protective exosuits to survive the harsh environments of this new Earth. Through these expeditions, a durable new substance is discovered at the site of the mysterious explosion. This material, neutronium, is used to construct a monument honoring the 300th anniversary of the Day of Purgation and the ongoing peace between the ideologies. However, When energy is applied to this monument, 
Wormholes open around the neutronium structure, and a warning is delivered from the future. A meteor composed of neutronium is coming. When it collides with the Earth, it will send some of its energy and neutronium back in time, causing the day of purgation. The catastrophe that leveled the Earth was only a taste of what is to come. Fortunately, humanity can utilize the neutronium sent back in time to travel to the future and borrow resources from their future selves. Through their preparation for the collision and their actions in the chaos following the impact, each of the four ideological groups vie to be the one that leads humanity into the future. Oh wow, it just happened. We got help from the future. So instead of going to the future and stopping the thing that's traveling from the future in the past to destroy the past, you're just going to the future to trade with I yourself? think strictly speaking, it's actually they open up wormholes and the future sends stuff back in time. But they have time control. Yeah, basically in the game, rather than borrowing from some bank or other similar entity, you borrow from your future self, which means that then in the future, you have to pay yourself back. Well, or, and the longer it takes for that to happen, the more negative anomalous effects happen to you. So you don't have to pay it back, strictly speaking. However, if you don't pay it back, uh, you start to cause anomalies and... Oh, what's the other thing that it causes? I mean, it's a development-type game, so you build uh, buildings, and you have a limited number of slots for each type of building. Each time an anomaly happens, it takes up one of your building slots. So basically, the faction goes, Hey, we don't go over to that block because that's where all the weird time stuff happens. Yeah, exactly. So what if your future self is a broke bitch? You just suffer the consequences, and uh, it hurts you in the long term. Uh, It's a game where you're trying to max out victory points, which correlates to being the most influential ideology. In other words, the one that kind of leads the rest of humanity after this massive explosion and everything and the chaos that follows. Interesting. Yeah, actually... We had a different time with this, too, because Lucas played the... So complicated games like this typically come with a base version where everyone's playing essentially the same thing. And then you flip a board over and you're playing the advanced version where you get to keep track of more. So I have a little bit of a different experience. But Sammy, what was the question you're about to ask? Because this is all about your questions diving into the deep world of weird board games. So you are sending your past self items to help build you up in the future, correct? Yeah, so it allows you to have access to resources that you normally wouldn't so that you can build structures sooner and uh, basically build up your engine and improve your standing. But it means that right. you're going to start suffering consequences down the road uh, if it so, takes you too long to pay those back or you never pay them back. So, for example, future self sends me back $1,000. I invest $1,000. And out of the $1,000 I invested, I keep $1,000 set aside for future self to send back to me to invest $1,000 with. Pretty much yeah it's it's that idea so so that being said why doesn't future me send me back like money and instructions so that future me can be like super rich so that future me can stop the world ending event that got sent to pass me to fuck everything else in the first place that's the idea of the game so in the game they have a timeline that's set up 
and you always know where the bad event's going to happen and a little bit of the game changes. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that as a player, you're deciding what you need right now and hopefully paying it back later so that you can uh, save humanity, essentially. So it's Hmm. seven rounds where the meter hits after the fourth round. At the start of each round, you can select up to two uh, types of resources to send back. Now, as for the question of why don't you just send everything you could possibly want, well, wormholes are an advanced technology that requires this rare resource. So you can't send yourself back everything. You can send back people and, you know, uh, exosuits to travel to the capital. You can send yourself back that resource because that resource doesn't always show up until after the meteor strikes. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing. Um, I didn't get a chance to look at the base game, but in the advanced game, everyone has a different condition for evacuating. In the base game, everyone's got the same one. I played the... No, the the conditions for the base game are different for oh, evacuation. Are they? Yeah, it's just... When uh, I looked at them, they all were the less, same. No, no uh, when we played... When I played, all of us had different evacuation conditions. And Jacob, who's huh. played it a lot, uh, one of the people he's playing with, he won because he scored like 40 points off of his. Really? Because he had the one where the material that you use to time travel, he gets points based on how much of that he has. And he had almost all of it that was in the game. Oh, interesting. I, I wonder if it was... Uh, Th- this yeah, was so- actually a point of contention because <clears throat> I kind of screwed myself in the game. Because I thought water, which you pay uh, to do a lot of different things, was a limited resource because other materials are. And apparently that's not how what the developer intended. Uh, so I spent the first like three rounds of the game uh, hoarding all of the water in the game. So I was being the uh, water baron. I was just going to lock everyone else out being able to do anything without first getting my water. I'd really like to see what the first Hmm. sides are, because I know for the second side, which Jacob told us were different, and I don't know exactly how, I was playing a race, a faction, that absolutely needed to not fix the past, so they basically went into debt, and their condition for being able to leave was that they had to screw up the timeline enough for them to all leave. (laughs) Actually, we've been talking about the Hmm. leave thing, but we haven't explained it. So... Each group, you have your own little city that uh, you can build up and that can give you actions that the workers you have and that you can get, you can do those actions in your city. But most of the actions are in the world capital. And so you have to power up these exosuits in order to send your workers to the capital. Otherwise, they can't make the trip and survive. Okay. Um, And so after the meteor hits... Basically, the capital's toast and everything's falling apart. So in order to get a lot of influence, one of the ways that you can get a lot of victory points is by evacuating with a portion of the world capital's populace. And depending on how well you met your unique condition determines how successfully you're able to convince people in the capital to follow you back to your city. This sounds like an amazing story because you're trying to just use a combination of your past self and your future self to become the most popular person slash politician so that you can like have the most resources and then escape and be like the savior. That 
That's meanwhile, exactly like it. the cinematic route. Meanwhile, the cinematic route would be like find someone with enough luck and circumstance, cir- circumstantial like benefits to be a protagonist who's just gonna save everyone and stop the entire thing from happening in the first place. Usually at the cost of their own life. But uh, okay, interesting. Yeah, interesting. and this is the kind of game too where so if people who are a little less familiar with board games, your monopoly, your risk. Stuff like that has a huge RNG element in dice rolls. This game has Mm -hmm. a, it does have random stuff that comes up, but every round you're planning for it. And it's not like a dice roll necessarily. Um, It's a, it's a worker placement game and it's almost what's called a Euro game, which is a game that has zero uh, random chance. They style it as a heavy Euro game with worker placement elements. Okay, well, cool. I hit that one sort of on the nail. Uh, which, in worker placement games, one of the, the reason I love them so much is there's a limited number of unique actions that are shared among all the players. So if hmm. too many other people take an action that you want to take, you just can't take that action anymore. And so you have to, you know, on the spot, plan a new strategy around what's available. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot more strategy and a lot less random chance and kind of the element of fixing your chances a little bit where these games usually have ways that you can guarantee you go first in a round Uh, in which case Mm -hmm. you're often sacrificing doing things in the previous round to make sure that at the start of that round the one thing that you really want to do first is available I, i like the complexity of this Hmm. Definitely seems like it'd be a, a fun game worth playing. Huh. Games like this are awesome. They're usually a game that you want to play with similar people each time. Because I think I watched a video on how to play, and it was still a 15 to 20 minute re-explanation of how everything worked. And even yep. then, you know, there's so many rules that some stuff got missed. So I asked a couple questions, and uh, I missed a piece here or there. The game I played, I missed winning the game by not doing a single action because uh, how to get a resource was explained or maybe explained well or not explained well. And I missed the piece on it. And I could have like won by a decent margin. And that's, you know, that's how these games go because there's so much going on. And it's... Sounds like the type of game you'd really want to like develop some sort of strategy off the jump before you go in. And then once things start to go not your way, you use what you know of the game to have contingencies. And in that way, playing it with new people for the f- first time would be interesting because then you see how other people's strategies evolve. Would that yeah, be- it's, it's definitely one of those games where a lot of the learning process is learning how you can optimize using your resources. It's one of those games where usually playing optimally means using everything that you have in a productive mm. manner and not being left at the end of a round with, oh, I have these resources, I didn't use them, or I'm not planning on using them um, anytime mm-hmm. soon for any particular purpose. It's it's right. one of those things that uh, it probably take a few games, especially if you're not a huge uh, board game aficionado, to learn all the different rules and understand how everything works. But once you get it, it's really fun uh, hmm. kind of solving that puzzle. It's really fun if you like analysis. If you don't like analysis, you will probably hate this game. It will just be horror, abject horror. <laughs> and even worse for people who have uh, 
analysis paralysis where they see all these options. They're like, well, I have to choose the best option. I have a couple friends like that. I played a game with a guy who was like, oh, yeah, you you like strategy games. We'll play something lighter. The game was called Starship Samurai. I've told you this, Lucas. It's that game. It's a really good game. I like it a lot. And that game's not Starship very long, Samurai. though. It's not very complicated, right? No, it's uh, it's an interesting area control. Uh, I, I don't really want to go too and much into the mechanics. Without getting too much into it, the game is not long. It should take maybe first time through, depending on player count, 90 minutes. The game I played with this hmm. human took four hours <laughs> because they thought about every decision that they wanted to make in detail. They really considered nah, each one. Nah, Sammy, bro. would you like to guess what the final score that was? What, what, what's the score range? Am I talk, are we talking tens? Um, hundreds? Like somewhere between like the score, the scoreboard goes to up 40, to 50 scoreboard goes up to 50. Okay. Let me guess it 50 total. You can go above 50, but the board range is constructed in a way that it goes from 0 to 50. Okay, let me guess. Final score was 4 to 46. Actually, he had 15 points, and I had 65. I lapped him. That's what all that consideration got him. And what I tell people now, and if anyone's interested in getting into board gaming or getting better at anything in your life, I'll just I'll blanket this anything. If he had just made choices... And even if they weren't the right choices and learned from them, in the same amount of time, we could have played two games and the second game would have been competitive. However, since that first game, he thought and considered and ruminated on every little decision. The game took three times as long as it should, and he still lost by a huge margin. Because if he had lost by that huge margin in that first game and we had played it in 60 minutes and said, hey, let's go for another one. Second game, I'm sure he would have done way better because he's just... He can see the whole picture. So that's my yeah. life advice is uh, go do some stuff. Go mess it up. Don't worry about failure too much. You know, worry about losing your life or something like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. That took a dark direction. <laughs> I, I feel like I got to say that. I, but I feel called out. But uh, go try some stuff. Go fail and you'll get way better than if you want to make the right choice. You know, if hmm. you want to jump out of an airplane without a parachute, there's a chance you can survive. There's a guy who did that with Red Bull. Because hmm. it gives you wings? Uh, Red Bull sponsors crazy stuff all the time. Yeah, it was like 10 years ago. He jumped out of a plane and he landed in a giant le- uh, giant net. Oh. Have, have you guys ever been skydiving? Not yet. Yep. Yep. Sammy, weren't we both skydiving at the same time? Yep. That definitely happened. In my mind, this is a tandem jump where both of you jump together. Uh, No, but we were in the same plane, I believe. Yep. We were in the same plane. I think I went first. Oh, it... The scariest thing about that was watching you just suddenly disappear. It, It happened so fast, you, like getting sucked out of the plane um mm-hmm. that then it made it more stressful when it was my turn with my uh guy i was skydiving with um, mm-hmm. but it, it's interesting because once you're out of the plane or at least my experience was it was the highest level of panic and terror for what felt like a split second even though i'm sure it was much longer than that and then it was just like uh zip lining but a lot faster you know, what's crazy about that is just earlier today, I was listening to some uh, somebody talking about fear and success and building up 
businesses. And the guy pointed out that most people who have to jump out of a plane, in this case, he was talking about paratroopers, said all of them had anxiety until the moment they went out of the plane. And the moment that they're free and clear, there's no like fear anymore of any of that. There's like, okay, here it is. Well, in my experience, it just felt like my system, my fear response was just overloaded with the the free fall. That as soon as my velocity leveled out, it it wasn't scary at all. It's just cool. Yeah, I wrote my will before we <laughs> jumped out, so I was kind of just ready. I was like, let's just do this. I was just like, we, we going, we going. I'm starting to get more anxious by the fact that we're not going. Let's let, let's go. <laughs> and then, so that was my. And experience. then I don't feel like I was that stressed comparatively as I imagine most people would be going up. But then the guy I was with kept asking me if I was okay, and that stressed me out more than anything. I was like, should I be worried? <laughs> That's funny. You know, if I've been in, a, I've trained people for a lot of dangerous things. Or worked a lot of athletes, kids through fear. And half the time they're like, I don't know, I'm scared. Uh, balance beam would be a good example. I'm scared of doing a cartwheel on, cartwheel on the balance beam. I'm like, oh yeah, you should be. And they'll usually stop and go, what? Like, well, think about it. You're up in the air. You're putting your hands down. Yeah, it's kind of scary. You know, that didn't comfort me. I'm like, well, here's why you should be comforted by it. How, if you're going to fall because you're afraid of falling... What are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to turn them and put my feet on the ground. Boom. There you go. Okay. So what if I hit my head? Well, what would you have to do to hit your head? I'd have to bend my arms. There you go. Don't bend your arms. And we just move on. Like, it's much more comforting. Like, I'm about to jump out of this airplane. I'm scared. Oh, well, I mean, you should be. You'll be okay. <laughs> but you should be. That, that makes me think of uh, when I learned as a kid how to snow ski because my family would take yearly vacations for a while um, to Colorado and go skiing because I remember the first Woo! thing I learned uh, the first time going, we took uh, a few day classes uh, as kids, and the first thing they taught us was how to crash without hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. And you basically mm-hmm. just sit down. And once you know that no matter how scary the situation feels, if you're ever overwhelmed, you can just sit down and basically tap out. It makes the whole experience a lot less frightening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they skipped that when I learned how to ski. They just said, if 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 you like fall or start to wipe out, you suck. <laughs> and try not to suck next wow, time. Wow, that is like, that's the hardcore school of ski. Try not to suck and next time suck less. Yep, they're like, all right, you're a complete noob. All you need to know is pizza, french fry. And then you get better, and they're like, all right, if you're good enough, you shouldn't even have to fuck with pizza, french fry. Like, you just have to do your, not your not your jump stops or your jump turns, but you just need to know how to carve, basically, is the best way I can put it in layman terms. But yeah, they're, my, my, my ski school I went to is kind of straight savage. <laughs> how how but, advanced? Uh, I learned. How advanced? are you uh skiing like what level are you at what type of slope i mean it's been a while i just recently started getting back into it about a year ago and i like recently bought my own equipment stuff i was too busy this year to do a whole lot but i feel like i can do a black diamond if it's a black diamond because it's steep i do not i 
do not uh, mess with moguls. Um, I've done it like twice recently just to prove that I could attempt it. And then I immediately stopped because I proved to myself that I don't need to do this anymore. I like <laughs> how the but, experience with moguls is your first instinct is like, oh yeah, you go over them. And then you learn that's a really bad idea. So, <laughs> Oh, that's the worst it can do. For those of you who don't know, a mogul is like, it's when the slope has a lot of bumps on it. The Each bump is called a mogul. And you think, oh, I can just go up and down. It's like, nope, that's how you die. The proper way to tackle a mogul is to carve in between the bumps, as 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 some would say. So this is like... Um, but you have to be really good at carving. So this is when you're rollerblading or some form of skating and you're going in between the cones. Mm-hmm. Essentially, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Essentially. I, I mean, I don't get the appeal of moguls either because it seems like a really easy way to hurt yourself. I mean, one of the yep. trips we went on, my dad gave himself a concussion because he hit a mogul without realizing it was a mogul. And he went, you know, up and then landed on his head on the way back down. Ooh. And he was just out of it for the rest of the trip. He just, he's like, I'm just, I can't ski. <laughs> that was right. too, too uh, bad of a, you know, wipeout. I, I personally, I like blue black because it has the black segments, which are more challenging, a lot steeper. But the blue is about mm-hmm. as steep as you can go where you can, without being really good at skiing, you can go fast without hurting yourself. Yeah, I'm a fan of those too. Sounds awesome. Well, I think we're kind of tapering here. I'm looking around the room going, all right, I think it's about time. I think we're at our at our mark. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't remember what time we started, but I'm sure, worst case scenario, this is calling a little bit early. I think we put in a solid like hour, hour fifteen. Yeah, we'll we'll live. Anyone listening yeah. will live. Well, I'm not guaranteeing you'll live. Don't go coking up a bear stuff. and uh What if you oh, gain raid to tango? Don't coke up a bear and ride it going down a mogul. That's what I've learned from today. So oh, but you would be the coolest motherfucker in the world if you pulled that off. Red Bull will definitely sponsor well, that. While we Red work Bull. on while we work on the Red Bull sponsorship, uh, signing off, Jeremiah, Sammy, and Pig Boy. <laughs>